Hello, and welcome to this episode of the World Extreme Medicine podcast. My name's Will Duffin. I'm a jobbing GP, WEM Medical Director and Extreme Medic. The topic today is an exploration of the benefits of overseas humanitarian emergency medical response work to clinicians, to health systems and wider society, with a focus on the work of international health charity UK Med. If you're an intrepid and curious doctor, nurse, paramedic, health leader or policymaker, then this will be very relevant to you. Unlike some other podcasts, I don't believe in long preambles or advertisements. Your, your time is far too precious for that. So let's dive straight into it. Now, in this episode, we're going to look at the findings of UK Med's recently published Global Health Responders Report, which is the output from a focus group, case studies and a survey of over 580 UK-based clinical responders. And a link to that report, plus some other useful resources can be found in the show notes. And to help me draw out and contextualize the key findings of this report, I'm joined by two fellow clinicians who I'm delighted to introduce to you now. The first is David Anderson. He's a practicing senior nurse based in emergency medicine with 32 years of NHS experience under his belt. He works uh, on a freelance basis with uh, NHS hospital trusts in Leicestershire. And his clinical deployments include the Ebola outbreak in Sierra Leone, diphtheria in Bangladesh, measles outbreak in Samoa, South Sudan, South Africa. And in August 2020, he was involved in the deployment to Beirut at the port explosion. And he was seconded from the NHS to the Nightingale Hospital uh, uh, to set up a 648 bedded field hospital in just two weeks. Um, wow, what, what an incredible CV there, uh, David. Welcome to the podcast. Great to be here, Will. Thanks for giving us the opportunity. And you're not only a uh, international uh, humanitarian, you're also a professional tree surgeon. Is that true? That is true. Yes, I uh, enjoy the work outside. It keeps me a little bit fit, but, you know, and it allows you to do something a little bit different. It's good fun. Yeah, absolutely. I think that's a universal thing about medics like yourself who, who go out and do these interesting things. They're all true polymaths. So that's great. And our, our second clinician is Liverpudlian Stephen Owens. Stephen has 23 ex years experience in medicine as a consultant paediatrician in infectious diseases and immunology at Newcastle's Great North Children's Hospital. He's been deployed out to Sierra Leone in the Ebola outbreak, and he's also been out uh, to Bangladesh with their diphtheria outbreak and the measles outbreak in Samoa. He's also spent three years out in the Gambia with the Medical Research Council uh, working on uh, important research and both Stephen and David have in, de deployed together. Stephen, welcome. Thank you very much for having me on. Pleasure to be here. Unfortunately, you've been pinged, haven't you, by the current wave of Omicron and you're finishing off your isolation at home. How's that going? Uh, slowly and painfully, but uh, I'm nearly finished now, hopefully. So I'm just waiting on the lateral flow test going back negative and I'm hoping to be back in the, in the hospital early next week. Fingers crossed, fingers crossed. Okay, so th there are no formal statistics to, to quantify the number of physicians from the UK that volunteer overseas. However, a 2016 study uh, of NHS staff 
uh, in this study, 42% reported they had experience of overseas volu- uh, overseas work, either uh, volunteers or as, as students. So it's very, very common for NHS clinicians to, to do this work. And what we're really interested in in this episode is, is what the benefits of that work are to the individual clinician, to the, the, both the host health service, the NHS on their return and wider society. And I think a really useful place to, to start would be how overseas work is perceived. Uh, and let's start with some of the negative perceptions. Uh, and I'm going to start with, with you, David. How do you feel certain um, uh, policymakers or health leaders or clinicians perceive overseas work? What kind of negative uh, perceptions are there out there? Yeah, well, thanks. I think there's always some difficulty with people um, not recognising that other countries are in greater need than our own and being uh, slightly self-centred in relation to that. It's also can be quite difficult at times, particularly in the winter in the UK. We all know that uh, hospitals are under an immense amount of pressure. It's hugely busy in accident emergency and medicine and, and in particular at the moment with Omicron. But there are massive benefits to releasing people out of the system to allow them to come back rejuvenated and refreshed back into a system which they may be becoming slightly tired with. So I think particularly policymakers and senior staff in hospitals don't necessarily understand that absolute benefit it brings in releasing someone for two, three, four weeks to go away and get that rejuvenation back and the love for their job back again. Stephen, do you think uh, that there are huge challenges facing hospital trust at the moment in releasing valuable clinicians in the midst of huge staffing crisis to overseas work? Is this is this just one big brain drain from the NHS? Yeah, I mean, I think that's a, an understandable concern, particularly at the moment. The NHS uh, has not has not been pre-pandemic gifted with a, a surplus of of, of staff. Uh, to to be leaving their posts to go overseas, but as David's already kind of said, is it, it would be I think perhaps narrow-minded or short-sighted not to appreciate the the value that overseas deployments uh, bring back to the host organisations themselves, particularly when each deployment you know characteristically will involve only a small number of staff from any given organisation at any one time. UK Med draws its membership from the entire country. Uh, and sends small to medium-sized teams which are drawn from that membership from throughout the UK. So it means that any one hospital or trust is only uh, being asked necessarily to to give up one or two members of staff at any one time. Uh, So the relative impact uh, is is comparatively small, particularly, as David has said, given the the payback that those deployments bring to those organisations when those staff return from the deployments. So that was the purpose of this new report from, from UK Med, published in September 2021. David, what, what were the key findings that this report uh, brings to light? I, I think the, some of the key findings really were that almost 98% of all the clinicians who deployed had a very positive experience in it. They felt it enhanced their clinical skills. Um, a lot of people... Uh, high in the 90s again, said it really improved the resilience. Having to work in environments where you don't have everything to hand, where it is a more austere environment, 
meant that they increased their resilience and their ability to work more rapidly and in a much better fashion back in the UK. Um, and that, that is a really big impact, I think, particularly when you think of what clinicians are having to go through now in the UK with Omicron and with Delta waves, obviously, before that. Um, the other thing, of course, is that lots of clinicians have deployed to outbreaks before. And if you then have deployed to outbreaks, for example, myself and Stephen deployed to Ebola back in 2014-15, the experience of working in PPE and the skills you gained from doing that were hugely important in helping people be educated and develop their own techniques and skills and ability to manage in what is a really difficult environment. Uh, working in the UK or abroad in full PPE is not a great deal of fun. Stephen, is there any any other key findings that you would like to add in at this point? I mean, this study, um, as you know, assessed um, the 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 perceived uh, impacts of overseas deployments on various aspects of uh, professional practice uh, among clinicians who deployed with UK Med. Um, and again, as David sort of highlighted. Across each of those seven domains, the vast majority of staff reported a hugely positive impact uh, in terms of their clinical skills, their, their, their resilience, their experience of leadership and management, quality improvements, and so on. Um, and I think, you know, for particularly for outbreak response, um, it was that those deployments have, again, as David sort of highlighted, have acted as a sort of a dry run almost for for what it's been like to work in the pandemic uh, back in this country afterwards. So uh, in terms of understanding challenges to safe patient flow, uh, in terms of managing the challenges of working in PPE, dealing with frightened patients and family uh, who've, who've been exposed to a, a new pathogen, which at the beginning nobody knew anything about. All of those things uh, um, allowed us as clinicians with UK meds to draw our experience of those previous deployments to address some of the issues and to, to mitigate them. Um, in my case, you know, I, I work in Newcastle, which is one of a very small number of centres in, in the UK designated for the care of patients with what are known as high-consequence infectious diseases. So these are pathogens which, by dint of their virulence or transmissibility, represent a particular public health threat uh, and so patients are um, cared for in a small number of uh, specialist centres where isolation facilities and staff training are uh, structured uh, around the, the safe provision of care to those patients and the minimisation of public health risks. So really, you know, my experience with Ebola and with diphtheria in particular was just absolute gold dust uh, for working in that environment back in the UK um, because it allowed me to put into practice some of the, the, the stuff that, you know, we'd only ever run in simulations before uh, or even read about in textbooks. But there's no, there's no replacement for actually doing it for real with real life patients uh, in a challenging environment. Um, and so it's, it's been absolutely um, uh, essential, really, to my, to my practice with the HCID unit in Newcastle. That's very interesting. So in terms of um, uh, the experience gained in overseas um, contagions in pandemics, epidemics, etc., including Ebola, and and the the skills that that then brings back into the NHS. For me, that that ties in with uh, Professor Tony Redman uh, says he, he talks about how global Britain 
needs global experience. Um, Tony was a conference speaker at the WEM conference, and he's also the one of the founders of UK Med. And um, uh, David, you were out in in um, uh, West Africa and part of the Ebola response. Perhaps you could speak in more detail about how the donning of PPE and other infection control measures learnt in responses like that have fed their way back into the NHS, specifically around the formation of the Nightingale hospitals and, and other measures that have benefited the, the health system in the UK. Yeah, absolutely. I think there, there are several ways that's helped an awful lot. So what you find is that some of the UK Med members who had gone out to Ebola uh, and were still working within the NHS were suddenly identified as these leaders who knew how to correctly identify routes through hospitals because of their Ebola experience, how to use PPE properly. And that skills and experience was ultimately utilised to make their hospital and patients and staff and relatives really safe, which is great. From a Nightingale point of view, I think it's slightly different in that what we were trying to do was in two weeks in an old railway station in Manchester uh, was build a field hospital essentially, um, which if, you are, if you've never worked in a field hospital, you've got this NHS mentality. There's nothing wrong with that, but you have to think differently. You have to do it rapidly and you have to just think slightly differently. So bringing that along and allowing people to understand that actually the bed size doesn't have to be this standard. You can get away with something else. That you have to work differently. That the flow has to be in a certain way is really important. And then, of course, the experience of teaching how to use PPE in 40 degrees in Sierra Leone for three and a half, four months. Uh, you don't forget that quickly. Um, so that also was easily you know, transferred when we came back and, and all the work we've done there. And the joy of Manchester, actually, in the Nightingale in Manchester was we had some brilliant people, both from the armed forces and, and civilians who came along. And I was lucky enough to work with a couple of people I'd previously worked with in Sierra Leone, one from the military who was the major who had actually helped build the Ebola treatment centre I was working in. So um, that the two of us getting together, it was really good. So we could help those who had never done it understand how to get the flows correct, how to manage that, and then to do a huge amount of training in a very short time. So. A, a fantastic experience working with some absolutely brilliant people from across many sectors, but it fed really well back into what was required in such a short space of time. David, it's interesting just to pick up on one thing you said there about the NHS mentality. Perhaps we could flesh that out. Do you think there's times when the NHS is perhaps a bit overly bureaucratic that we don't approach challenges and problems perhaps in the most constructive way and that perhaps we're a bit stuck in our ways sometimes and that doing this kind of overseas work, work is a way of unlocking new potential, new skills, new avenues, new innovations. Uh, what are your thoughts on that, David? Yeah, I mean, I think that the given the opportunity to work in a different way will allow you to think differently. You know, back in the uh, UK, had I stayed being an associate director of nursing and all those things and never had the experiences, you know, I wouldn't have thought about derogation of size of bed space. I wouldn't have thought about lots of different things that we were doing in the Nightingales. But, you know, fundamentally working with people with different skill sets in Sierra Leone and South Africa, wherever it may, wherever it may be, allows you to develop your own skills, think very differently about it, and allow you to uh, use the great British phrase, you know, step and think slightly outside the box on that, because actually we do become very rigid in the NHS. We get stuck sometimes in a bit of a linear path, which ine inevitably leads us to a, an end point. 
Um, and if you think a little bit differently, that can help. And that can help throughout you know, all of NHS practice. It's not just about building a 650-bedded nightingale in two weeks. You know, if you think differently, it can help you no end. You know, in A&E, when you've got that 200 patients and, you know, 60 people waiting, think a little bit differently. All that stuff helps if you've had the experience. So uh, there are many facets to this report. So one of which, uh, one of the key domains of improvement that it found was, was clinical skills that we've just touched on. Uh, another one is, uh, is job interest and personal resilience. And I know this is something that's close to your heart, Stephen, as a, as a consultant paediatrician. We're living, uh, working in an NHS where there's a, a, its own epidemic of, of burnout. Uh, and what role did the report find or did you find in your experience that overseas uh, uh, medical response work has in reinvigorating, rejuvenating the careers of, of perhaps burned out later career uh, clinicians? Yeah, well, the the report specifically um, addresses this, and the, the study asked respondents to to talk uh, about how their overseas deployments had impacted their own sense of personal resilience in their clinical work with the NHS. And ninety four percent of respondents said that it had positively affected their ability to be resilient uh, in their day to day work. And I think there's probably lots of reasons for that. Um, certainly, you know, being taken outside of your comfort zone, being asked to address maybe different uh, clinical conditions which you've not seen before, in the case of boulder or diphtheria, which are, you know, extremely rare in the UK, um, or whether it's about working with a completely different team in a different organisation, getting to grips with all of those uh, different challenges um, completely outside of your normal working environment. The, the, the realisation that actually our training uh, uh, and uh, experience in the NHS allows us to do that extremely well. And that, that realization brings with it, I think, a newfound appreciation both of our own abilities as clinicians uh, and our, our abilities to sort of flex and stretch into new and challenging roles, but, but also a, a newfound, and it's, it perhaps sounds a bit trite, but a, an appreciation of what the NHS is. You know, it's an, a phenomenal uh, organization which achieves great things often with limited resources under the most challenging circumstances, and it does it day in, day out, every day of the year. And that's that's lovely. That's a, a great thing to, to be brought home to you. Um, and it's the overseas deployments, I think, that, have, that, that do that for, 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 for the UK Med members. Um, uh, one thing I, I often talk about when I, when I give uh, talks to students and, and junior colleagues uh, in Newcastle is, is this, this idea of, you know, being sort of jetted to the far end of the world uh, to be to be dropped into a, a, another hospital with a group of NHS clinicians who you've never met or worked with before, and within 24 hours you've gelled and you're working together to save lives uh, within hours of touching down. And it's the it's that that common training, that common uh, experience within the NHS that allows us to do that and work so effectively. And again, I think, you know, that realisation that you're, you, you're doing something valuable, that you've got a certain set of skills which, which are helpful and do save lives, that, that realisation is, is priceless, really. Um, and, and that's one of the, certainly from my own experience, that's one of the things that's, that's been most noticeable about overseas deployments. Um, yeah. That's very interesting there, Stephen, to hear about your, um, your experience of 
enhanced team working. Uh, and I think these deployments really test those those teams, especially often, you're, as I understand it, you're deployed with people you've never met before, fellow NHS clinicians, but from different parts of the country, different career stages, different professional backgrounds. Um, David, you, you've alluded to, to your teamwork and what you do as well. What's it like? Let's just talk about your own experience a little bit now. What's it like when you when you deploy with UK Med or UK EMT and you you arrive in that country, you've got a you've got a very difficult job to do. You've you've never met these people before. How do you go about bonding and gelling as a team so that you can work effectively? What are your uh, what are your perspectives on that, David? Well, I think it comes back slightly to what Stephen has said, and that UK Med uh, you know applies to UK Med and, and people who get through our selection process. We know they're of a certain standard which is actually bred in the NHS anyway. You know, these clinicians that you get from the NHS are of a very, very high standard. But when you land in country, what you've got then got to quickly understand is what are their, their actual skills and abilities? Will they work well together as a team? How are we going to structure our teams to deliver the best possible impact that we can? And how do we fit well into the already existing structures that are there most of the time? So what you tend to find is that the, the team turns up with all that in mind. They turn up a little bit scared, possibly. Um, there's always going to be a little bit of fear, particularly if you're going to go to something like Ebola. But then there's also the trepidation about, will I get on with people, will I not? Uh, and how do we form those teams quickly? And it, actually, it happens real fast because everybody wants it to happen and they're there to deliver what they see as life-saving interventions. And in fact, it is. You know, we make a massive impact in a very short period with such highly trained clinicians who are willing in their own time to come across and do this work. So um, as a team, when I deploy as a team lead, is it difficult? Of course, there are challenges. But actually, in many ways, it's quite simple because almost everybody who turns up wants to be there and really wants to make a big impact in a short space of time. And that makes it a lot easier. <laughs> Not without challenges, but it definitely makes it a lot easier. Stephen, what, what David's talked there about making an impact, what drives you to, to do this kind of work, to, to put down your, your stethoscope as a, a consultant paediatrician in the NHS and to get on a plane to somewhere like Bangladesh? What, what, what's, what compels you to, to get involved with this kind of work? I think, uh, you know, everyone has their own reasons, I suppose, for, for being interested uh, and passionate about this kind of work. Uh, I imagine that many people will have reasons in common. I think for me, you know, the, there, are, there are lots of factors. On the one hand, it's, you know, it's this idea that this is something we should do. You know, we, we, we've got skills, we've got knowledge, we've got experience, we've got training, uh, and we're being asked to go somewhere where those, those abilities are in dire need for whatever reason because of an outbreak or a sudden onset disaster uh, and because the host institutions have asked for and need that additional support and we can get it and it's that's the right thing to do that's what should happen you know uh, when when there's need people should should try to address it if they can i think you know going beyond that it's it's the 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 idea of going somewhere new uh, perhaps dealing with diseases which you might otherwise only have read about in textbooks or heard about as a student and now actually seeing them for real um, and, and as I say, doing that in a completely new environment, the challenge of, of, of doing that, working as part of a team who, as David said, 
all want the same thing, that that feels good. You know, it's 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 very rewarding. Uh, and then I suppose with it, with your eye on 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 what what this experience can bring back to your practice in the UK, uh, you're you're looking for experiences which can improve you as a clinician. And as I say, in my own field of, of infectious diseases, you know, I I need to be seeing uh, the, the the rare and the wonderful uh, in order to recognise it and be able to manage those patients when they pop up in the UK from time to time. As increasingly, of course. They do because of the globalized world that we live in. Uh, you know, it's it's a, another cliche, oft repeated, but it's true. Which is, you know, pretty much within forty-eight or seventy-two hours, you can be from any one part of the world to any other parts of the world, and that means that diseases which are endemic in one place can turn up somewhere else. Uh, and we need to have doctors who who can uh, reflect that and 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 address that uh, that possibility. So it's there's lots of reasons why I do this kind of work. Uh, um, uh, um, but I hope that I can carry on doing it for many years to come. The challenge is, I think, trying to combine that interest and that passion with the the, the day-to-day NHS workloads, which, uh, as we've already said, is particularly heavy at the moment. That's really interesting, Stephen, to hear you talk, reflect there on the transformative benefits to you of that, that overseas humanitarian work. David, as a as a, a senior nurse with 32 years of NHS experience, perhaps could you reflect for me on how your involvement with UK Med, UK EMT over the years, how that's changed your clinical practice, perhaps what kind of clinician you were before you got involved with this work and, and what you became through doing this work? Yeah, so um, ED is my background and done it for a very long time, as you've said, 30 odd years. Um, and I think getting involved in it, what it does for you, so you can become a little bit tired and, and not as, um, I'll try to be polite about it, uh, as friendly, if you like, to the public, because you see so much of the same thing all the time. Um, everybody absolutely has a need, and that need absolutely has to be seen and dealt with. There's no question about that at all. But it, but it can be hard work, and it can be, you know, it turns into something which is not as enjoyable. Allowing yourself some time out to go and work elsewhere, that could also just be in the UK, but, you know, elsewhere to work with people who are truly appreciative of the, the, the very small impacts that you sometimes make, hugely changes you when you come back. So you think differently about what you're dealing with, and it allows you to see the small things you're doing are having a massive impact further down the line um, on that one individual, which maybe you didn't see before because, you'd, you know, been in A&E for 20 years and actually that's hard work. That's hard work for a day, never mind doing it for so many years. So I think it fundamentally allows you to see different things, work with different people and, and learn loads, but also bring that back in a way that allows you as an individual to work more openly and realise the need that everyone has. Um, yeah, and it just it really, really enhances what you can do in the UK. Yeah, I, I've um, I, I was very fortunate to deploy out to Myanmar in 2016 with the Royal College of Pediatrics. Spent six months in country working with local doctors there, uh, and it's not something we could do now. All that program is shut down since the junta retook control. And I'm sure this is something you can both relate to with the range of deployments you've had. But what really touched me was some of the connection that I was able to have with the local health workers uh, and this just incredible window into their world, which is in the low resource settings, is very, very different to the NHS. 
And it's interesting to hear you uh, talk about this, Stephen, is, is that how you suddenly appreciate what we have in the NHS so much more that, yes, it does feel like a low resource setting, but compared to what other, other people are up against, other, other health systems, other, other uh, uh, patients in these health systems have to deal with, we're, we really are very fortunate, aren't we? Absolutely. I mean, you know, in order to fully appreciate something, often you have to experience its absence, don't you, to, to contrast uh, um, the, the experiences with and without. And certainly uh, when you deploy to a, a lower middle income country, there are facilities, resources which you take for granted uh, at home, which suddenly are no longer available and you're called upon to use a different set of skills or a different way of thinking or a different way of approaching a problem. And in that, we're often guided and educated uh, by the people who work day in and day out in that particular environment. So in each of the deployments uh, I've been on, uh, we've been integrated with local healthcare teams. Um, in the case of uh, the measles outbreak in Samoa, we were integrated into the hospital in, in, in Samoa where we were working. Uh, and so we, we became sort of embedded uh, within the, 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 the clinical teams themselves. Uh, and we're able to contribute uh, a little bit of our kind of experience and knowledge. But as I say, equally, we were we were educated and instructed and and uh, schooled uh, by the clinicians themselves and on how to deliver the required care in that particular setting. So it's it's a it's a two way exchange, really. I think you know you, you you certainly appreciate what you have in the NHS when you're working out with that environment. But at the same time, uh, you know, you, you, you bring back to the NHS different ways of thinking and different ways of managing resources from the experience in those, in those low resource settings. It's interesting that, Stephen, you're talking about being embedded in that local health system. And that's certainly possible with longer deployments, particularly when you were out in, as it's Samoa, for, for three years. Doing oh, your, the Gambia, your, sorry. Yeah. The Gambia, my, my mistake. The Gambia of doing your research. Uh, you really do feel an integral part of that health system. You really can build lasting uh, health partnerships. Uh, but David, perhaps you could reflect on me of some of the challenges of a disaster response or you know, emergency medical response where you really are just parachuted in at short notice for relatively short durations. And perhaps this is one of the biggest critiques of that model of, of um, humanitarian work is that uh, it is hard to build those connections uh, and and you um some of those um projects as a result are, are critiqued for being less sustainable where uh some, sometimes the local health system just wipes their hands clean uh, and you end up being inappropriately embedded in that in that country and, and it can be difficult to extricate yourself could you perhaps speak on on that for a moment yeah sure so i think you're absolutely right so um so if you go into a sudden onset disaster for example uh, so the blast in Beirut. What you need to be thinking about as soon as you get there is obviously your clinical teams and how you can make a massive impact initially, but the longevity of it, even after you've gone. So there's a real key part in relation to it, which is about capacity building and also not replacing the local staff. It's about working with your local staff and local colleagues to make sure that you do an appropriate level of work, obviously to help save lives and improve lives, but make sure that as you do that, you can withdraw safely and in a timely fashion, which allows the local staff to take those services back on. So quite often what you would find is, uh, so for example, in Mozambique, we employed local staff 
develops new clinics. And as we withdrew, the Ministry of Health for Mozambique took those clinics on to ensure that the clinics stayed and, and went throughout. So whilst we went and uh, initially set the clinics up, initially did the training and development for the staff to make sure they could deal with it post cyclones, the long-term impact was fantastic. And in, in fact, some of the clinics are still going. That says, you know, we helped develop and set those up to replace some that were sadly destroyed in the cyclones. But that's really important. Drop it in for two weeks, doing a few procedures. Yes, it's helpful, of course. But you must absolutely be thinking, even before you get on that plane, what is my long-term impact here? And how can I fundamentally help that health system and service in that country? Okay, so I think we'll 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 uh, draw this conversation to a close. And just to summarise, what we've talked about is the perspectives from two clinicians. We've got a, a consultant paediatrician, a, a senior emergency department nurse, uh, reflecting on this new report from UK Med on the benefits of overseas emergency medical deployments. We've talked about the benefits in terms of uh, uh, clinical leadership, management skills. Uh, ability to provide better patient experiences, job interest, resilience, teamwork skills, uh, infection control skills, particularly in the context of a, of a global pandemic. Uh, and it, I've, I think these findings are, are very compelling. And I think a nice uh, uh, note to end on would be to ask each of you individually to uh, give your uh, one key message that you'd like anyone listening in, whether they're a a health worker, whether they're a policymaker or a health leader, what message would you like them to take away from this conversation or from this report? Starting, Stephen, with you. I think for me, um, the the challenge at the moment and, and looking forward certainly over the next year or two is, is um, getting this message that we've been discussing today uh, into the ears and the minds of um, people within trusts who have to make decisions about whether or not to release staff for deployments, to really emphasise the, the added value that's releasing their staff uh, to, to, to deploy with UK Med uh, brings back to their department. But this is not a, it's not a, you know, a sabbatical, it's not a holiday, it's not a, an observership, uh, something which enhances uh, but doesn't really bring a lot of value perhaps to the individual um, member of staff when they come back. This is something which uh, is, should be looked at in the same way that study leave or, 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 or special, special training courses would be looked upon. This is something which is, is going to bring back a huge amount of, of value and experience uh, to your local trust, to your local department. And so if a staff member comes to you uh, with an interest in a deployment and asks to be released, this is something that I would really encourage uh, managers to, to think very seriously about and to try to uh, uh, cooperate with, if, if at all possible. Stephen, thank you. David? I think Stephen's stolen most of my thunder there. But nonetheless, yeah, to just to build on that a little bit, I think, you know, what's really important is I'd like to see, uh, on top of things Stephen's talks about, is that it's also seen as part of the whole professional development of of doctors, nurses, physios, which whoever it is that comes out, because at the moment it's largely ignored in that, that context. It's not part of your appraisal, it's not part of your profession as well. So I think that's a really, really important part. But also the, the other key thing really is the one thing I think we didn't learn from Ebola, and hopefully we are learning now from this experience, is that 
the globalization that Stephen mentioned is that if you have this global experience back in your home country and you have unfortunately or fortunately, whichever way you wish to look at it, had to do this work, you then have that experience back home, which allows you to prepare better and to ultimately respond better to, you know, to the, the global issues that we see and which are undoubtedly going to carry on in the, ne you know, in the near future, uh, climate change, et cetera, et cetera, movement of large groups of people around the world. All that's going to make it very difficult for us globally. And I think it's really important those skills are back in the UK. It's a great note to finish on. Stephen, David, thank you both. The link to that full report will be in the show notes, including contact details for both Stephen and David, if you wish to reach out to them to learn more. Thank you for listening to this episode and tune in for the next one. Goodbye. <laughs>